right, let's pray. Father God, thank you for tonight. Thank you for these teenagers that are here. God, it's an honor and a privilege to be in front of them tonight uh, to dig into your word, uh, the sacred text, God, that you have given us. Um, it is a, a guide, a map. It is the heartbeat of what you have left for us to guide us as believers. Uh, and it is um, a wonderful time to jump into an incredible book written by a man of faith in Peter. Bless this time. Uh, bless Falls Creek uh, and kids camps coming up in a few days. Uh, there's a lot of things going on. Summer is hit. Um, and God, we pray that your hands and spirit be over it all. In your name we pray and ask all these things. Amen. All right. Well, if you got a Bible open to 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 1. Just kind of hang, just like mark it, keep it, stop it. Right there for a second. Reintroduce myself. Some of you guys uh, I know, some of you I don't know. It's all good. Uh, my name is Mick Hoggett. Um, I do have two daughters that are in seventh grade. Um, I was a youth pastor for about 18 years um, in student ministry, uh, and now a member here at Quell Springs Baptist Church. God's blessed me to still be able to kind of talk to students, hang out with students, uh, teach God's Word. I think it's the most important thing that you'll ever put in your life. Uh, the Bible says what? That we should hide it in the words, the words of, of God in our heart that we might not sin against Him, that it be a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path, right? So Scripture is valuable. Scripture is um, God-breathed, inspired, sharper than any two-edged sword. The Bible goes on to say that it even separates bone from marrow, all right? That's how specific God's Word gets about itself. Um, it is living and breathing and active. It is inspired by God, written by human hands, okay? So it's a piece of art. Um, it, it's the most archaeologically sound historical text that exists on the planet, okay? All right? Just to give you some historical context, all right? I, I love sharing this statistic about the Bible before we ever jump into the text because some people say, oh, you believe the Bible, but how do we know the Bible's real, right? Well, okay, let me give you some basic, some basic things, okay? This is easy, this is argument of the Bible 101, okay? Argument of the Bible is this. There are 300 prophecies, roughly, give or take 300, a little bit more prophecies about the birth of Christ before the birth of Christ, okay? All right, so from Genesis to the Italian prophet Malachi, I'm just kidding, it's Malachi, all right? Uh, and so from Genesis to, uh, to Malachi, there's about 300 prophecies, three, about 300, 330, 350, somewhere in that neighborhood, okay? All right, all of which come true in Christ's lifetime, every single one, all right? Er 350 out of 350. Okay, would you like to know the mathematical odds that one of those things becomes true prior to his birth? Just one. I'm not talking about all 350. I'm just talking about one. I'm talking one out of 350. You guys go to school, that's a bad grade. Okay, all right? So that's not a good grade. That's not what you take home to mom and dad say, hey, I got one out of 350 right. They'd be like, mm, summer school. All right, and so here's the deal. One of those right. All right, here's the mathematical odds. How big is the state of Texas, right? It's the second largest state uh, in the Union, right? Behind Alaska. But Oklahoma's always on top. What? All right, and so, um, so only one of them comes right. So here's the mathematical odds. Take the, take the state of Texas and stack it two foot deep with quarters, border to border. All right, think about how many quarters that is, right? That's a lot of quarters. That's a lot of trips to an arcade. All right, that's a lot of quarters. Well, here's what you get to do. You get to go up a thousand feet in the air in a helicopter with one quarter. And you get to paint it black with a sharpie. 
okay? And with your blindfold, as you're flying through the air in a helicopter, you throw that quarter out into the ethos of the universe, all right? And it lands in the state of Texas somewhere amidst all the other quarters, and only one of them is painted black. Now, you tell your friend you have one chance and one chance only to pick that one painted quarter. What do you think the odds of that are? Astronomical, correct? Uncalculable. That is the odds of one prophecy about Christ coming true prior to His birth. One. Just one. And how many came true? Every single one of them. So you want to talk about the authenticity of God's Word. Some of you guys might be math nerds. That's good math. Alright? That's 350 out of 350 coming right. Why? Because God's Word is living and active and breathed. It's inspired by God, written by man. So it is, it is without error and flaw. Yeah, there's grammatical errors in it. Alright? You ought to watch me write a paragraph. It's not real pretty. Alright? But here's the deal. It's flawless and perfect. It's withstood. We have 17,000 at least, probably closer to 20 to 25,000. We have roughly 20,000 partial or, or impartial or full manuscripts of the Bible in part or in whole that date within a handful, within a hundred years of when some of these events happened in the Bible. Do you know what? That there's not another historical document in the planet that can make that that can make that argument. That goes, that's an ancient text. It's pretty incredible. So when we dig into the Word, I want you to get a, a really strong, powerful picture of just how important it is. It, it, is, it is flawless and wonderful, and it's written by very flawed people. Not perfect people. Perfect because they were made perfect by Christ and by the sacrifice that He made for them. But then He turned around and inspired them to leave behind for us this beautiful picture of how we are to love God and how much God loves us, right? And Peter's no different. This is what I love about Peter, right? As we talk about 1 Peter chapter 1, this whole book of 1 Peter is about uh, kind of the struggle um, as Jews are coming to faith, following Jesus and the struggles and the, and the issues that come along with uh, kind of the first century. Um, and there's a lot of false prophecy, there's a lot of struggle, there's a lot of false faith, there's a lot of things happening that are creeping into the church, and Peter's trying to preach against that. And, and we know a lot about Peter from the Gospels, right? We know that he wasn't perfect, correct? We, re, we, we know that he was um, kind of petulant. Um, he, he was very um, uh, quick to respond, quick to move, quick to action, which is a good thing um, in, in a lot of cases, but sometimes didn't fully think out... Um, his response. We can go to Matthew chapter 16. One of my favorite chapters in all the Gospels is this incredible encounter between Jesus and Peter. And, and Jesus asked the questions, who, who do you say that I am? And there's a lot of question about who's he asking that question. Is he asking it boldly, like just kind of in front of his whole crowd? All right, in Matthew chapter 16, starting about verse 11, he says, who, who do people say that I am? Who do you say that I am? Now there's some argument about who he's saying you is. Um, you is he saying to the disciples or is it you to Peter directly I think he's actually talking to Peter directly I think he's asking Peter because he wants to use a moment here with Peter and he says who do you say that I am right and he says well some say that you're Elijah or or one of the prophets they're like you're a good man you're a good teacher all right and then he's and he asks this and he goes and he asks that specific question but who do you say that I am 
And we know that Peter responds, right? And what does Peter say? He says, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. To which Jesus replies, blessed are you, Simon, son of Barjona. That's Peter's Jewish name. He says, blessed are you, Simon, son of Barjona, for that was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but that was revealed to you by my Father who is in heaven. And on this truth, I will build my church. Now, truth is this. Some people confuse the, what the truth is. That people like Peter becomes the cornerstone. No, no, no. Peter doesn't become the cornerstone. The truth that Christ is the Son of the living God is the cornerstone. That is what the church shall be built on. The church will be built on that Christ is the cornerstone of the church. And man, Peter becomes uh, a, a revolutionary in the, in the first uh, now he's got a few more fun things. He's got he's to walk on water for a little bit and then sink. He's got to draw that sword and cut that dude's ear off in the garden. All right? he's, gotta, he's still got to work through a couple things before he gets there. Now, I've always wondered about Peter with the sword, right? So here in the garden, Christ is being uh, arrested and all the disciples are, you know, they're around, or, or the three, Peter, James, and John are around and there's this arrest going down, this false um, event is taking place and what does Peter do? I mean, he draws that sword. And that guard goes to touch Jesus. And Peter chops his ear off. Guys, that's in the Bible. I didn't make that up. That really happened. Now, the question is, is Peter really good with a sword? And he could just say, and just cut a dude's ear off? Or was he aiming for the whole head and he just missed horribly? We're not real for sure, but we know he took that guy's ear off. And, and there's always this question about, well, is Jesus the Messiah? You would think that the Romans who came there to arrest him when Jesus bit down in the dirt and pulled that guard's ear up off the ground and reattached it magically to the side of his head, you'd have thought people like, oh, maybe this guy is who he says he is because he just magically, re- you know, with power, just reattached his ear to his head. And Peter was a witness to all of this. And here he is now becoming this pastor of the first century, leaving us this text, right, which is credible. So let's, let's jump in. Let's jump into 1 Peter chapter 1. It starts with a greeting. I'm going to go verse by verse with you guys, right? Um, And we're going to kind of look around and see what's happening um, uh, with everything in this text so that we can kind of get an idea of just um, how important Peter's message is in his first letter that he wrote. Peter's ministry was to the Jews. Peter was Jewish. So we had Paul, all right, who was preaching to the Gentiles. All right, that was kind of Paul's ministry. Paul's ministry was to go and talk to those who were not Jewish. That was a big part of his ministry. Okay, and Peter's ministry, being Jewish, was to go and preach the gospel to the Jews. Okay, because if you go back and look in the book of Acts, there was a little bit of um, there was a little bit of contention between Peter and Paul. They were kind of like, whoa, like Peter was like, hey, you weren't there in the beginning like we were. What you know, there's a little pushback there, but now they've kind of settled into their roles, and now they've become the gospel is spreading uh, incredibly throughout the ancient Near East at the time. And so, in verse 1, it says, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, in this greeting, he says, to those who are elect exiles of dispersion in Pontus and Galatia and Cappadocia, Asia and Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father and the sanctification of the Spirit, for the obedience of Jesus Christ, for the sprinkling with His blood, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. The dispersion he's talking about is Jews are scattered right now because of things that are just happening in the culture at that time, okay? 
the, this is written post 70 AD. 70 AD, the temples burnt to the ground, right, in Jerusalem. So the main worship center focus for Jewish life is gone, okay? And the Jews are kind of scattered at this point uh, because of it. They've kind of lost some of their cultural identity because of it. Um, and he's saying, you've been through a lot but you have trust in this blood that is over you in Jesus Christ. And the Romans were the ones that came and did that. The Romans tore, burned the temple to the ground. The temple's never been rebuilt since 70 AD. Okay? In, in fact, a little historical context, 70 AD was when Jerusalem basically comes under control by another country. Quits being Israel, basically, at that point in 70 AD. Israel will not be reestablished as a country. Guys, 70 AD, okay? 35 years post-Jesus, right, earthly ministry, Israel will not become a country again until 1947. Think about that. Let that sink in for a second. That's how long God's chosen people would be dispersed and before God would restore his country. 1900, like 1,900 years. Almost two millennia. Isn't that kind of wild to think about? From 70 AD to 1947 is the gap in the span that we have there. Um, and so it's just pretty amazing to think about. So Peter is saying grace and peace. He's just writing a greeting in his letter. He's saying grace and peace to you. That the mercies of his blood, his shed blood, just pour over the top of you. Blessed, in verse 3 says, Blessed be the God, Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable and undefiled and unfading, kept in heaven for you who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed to you in the same time. He's like, blessed are you for this. I know you're dispersed. I know you're scattered. I know that it's, hope seems a little bit lost at the moment because you feel like your identity's lost. Your home has been ravaged and been taken over by another country. But you are still have a home in eternity. Your identity is not lost because your identity is not found in a place. Your identity is found in a person, in that person of Jesus Christ. It's like, and you have a, an inheritance. An inheritance that does, is not going to run out. An inheritance that's not going to break. An inheritance that's not going to fall apart. All right, Any of those types of things. Okay, we, we get our, our hopes built up a lot of time for things, for things, and then we get those things, and sometimes those things break, they don't last long, they glitch, or they, or they scratch, or they rip, or they fall apart, they just, things aren't just made to last forever, but what Peter is saying is this inheritance you have with Jesus Christ through the form of salvation and restor restoration through him does not fade or perish or fall apart. In fact, it gets better and it does not ever go away. You don't lose it. It doesn't wander off. Who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation readied to be revealed to you through faith is being guarded your eternity is being guarded by God like that should give you an incredible peace in your salvation and your eternity and your inheritance is not just over in a corner like they'll get it when it's time it's no it's being guarded by God for a time in which you shall reap it 
when God chooses for you to draw your last breath, whatever that, hopefully <laughs> 90 years from now, when that happens, then you will get your inheritance that God has stood steadfast and watched over until that day. Why? Because of salvation. Because you've trusted Christ, so you get that. Not cool. All right? That's like the best savings account you could ever have. No, your money's not going to get lost. You're not like, what do I do with my wallet? Right? You're not going to have that kind of moment. It's right where it's supposed to be, and it's where it will always be until it is time. Through salvation, we reap that inheritance. In this you rejoice now for a little while, for this time, right? We know the Bible tells us that a year to God is, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years is like a day. The Bible tells us that, about how God sees time, or, or tries to give us that comprehension of time. If necessary, you've been grieved by various trials, you've been tested of genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, that is tested through tested by fire. May you be found to result in praise and glory and honor and revelation of Jesus Christ. He's like, for this while, rest in that. I know you've been tested and you know, I know that you've been tried. My life, a verse that means a lot to me, actually comes out of Romans, written by, obviously by Paul. Uh, in chapter 12, verse 12, um, Paul is kind of going on, you know, he's talking about, uh, obviously we know 12, 1 and 2, and he's talking about not being worldly and not conforming uh, and, and the, the object of our worship. When you go a little further down, though, he's just kind of talking about um, his, how he just sees the church in life. Um, and he gets to verse 12 and he says that we should rejoice in hope, persevere in tribulation, and devote yourself to prayer. And I've found myself a lot of times that if I can't get anything else together, if I can't get, you know, anything else kind of pinned down, I can do three things. I can rejoice in the hope of my salvation. I can persevere through, through tribulation and through difficulties. And I can devote myself to prayer. If I can do those three things, when everything else seems to be coming undone, then I feel like I'm doing a pretty good job. I can hold on to that truth. All right? And that middle one is, is key. And I think that middle one reflects a lot about what Peter is saying in, in verse 7 when he says that you've been tested, you've been tried. That will continue to happen. You'll face those things. Guys, the, the first Wednesday night back in this building, why? Because of a pandemic that we did not see coming necessarily, right? We didn't realize in March of 2020 when we were all like, oh, we get a two-week spring break. That's tight. That'll be fun. Oh, FYI, see you in 16 months, right? We had no idea what we were, it was a fog. I can still remember, uh, guys, I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a counselor by trade now. That's what I do full-time. I work in Putnam City Schools as a counselor. And I can remember at my school where I work, the PE teacher's a dear friend of mine. And uh, we were, we had had a, um, uh, some uh, uh, what we call warrior games there. But anyhow, we were cleaning up at the end of the day and there was this rumor starting to fly around that they were going to maybe extend our spring break a week, right? Uh, possibly even two weeks. We had a three-week spring break before we got to come back. And I remember we were putting stuff away. It was Thursday. It was the Thursday before the Friday, the last day before we went on spring break. We had one more day and then we went on spring break. So we're cleaning up and we're hanging out in the gym and I was like, dude, are you hearing about all this mess that they're going to extend our spring break to like three weeks? He's like, oh, I know. Isn't that crazy? I was like, oh, this is wild. I, mean, I was like, I don't even know what to think about all this. 
you know, and uh, he loves to golf. I, I'm terrible at golf, but I like being outside. He's like, hey, man, we need to go play golf a couple times. We've got three weeks off. We need to go play some golf. I'm like, yeah, yeah, I'm terrible. Let's do it, right? That'd be fun. You hit that, chase that ball all over the place. I'll see the whole course, all right? And so uh, let's go, right? And then Friday happens. Like, yeah, you know, we're extending spring break. We're not coming back till March 23rd. I'm like, oh, sweet, three weeks, boom, all right? And then the entire world closed. Literally the entire world put out a closed sign and not opening until further notice. And we walked in that fog for, and it impacted everything. Our worship, our schools, our <laughs> academics, finances, our life. But you know what? In all of that, I was talking to a pastor friend of mine and all that, and I was, you know, and I was sitting there, you know, on Sunday mornings and watching Pastor Rummage and Jeff and everybody do their thing online and hanging out in the, my living room, you know, like everybody else was. And I reached out to a pastor friend of mine that had pre- I'd watched him preach that morning, and I had texted him as a hey, great message, and, and we got to text him back and forth, and, and I was just like, man, this is just crazy that this is happening. And he just reminded me, he's like, you know, in all of this, God didn't wake up in March of 2020 and be like, whoa, this pandemic didn't see it coming. I don't know what to do now. Sit here and worry about it. No, we have stayed our course. We have trusted our God. And here we are, we're coming out on the other side of that. And I I find a lot of joy and I find a lot of um, rest in that. Uh, It's been hard. It's not been easy. I think about the impact it's been on uh, the graduating seniors over the last couple of years. I think about the impact on sports. I think of the impact on all the extracurriculars and all of life that has been deeply impacted over the last 16, 18 months. Time we can't get back. We can't roll it back and change it. But what we can do is we can learn from it. And what we can do is we can trust that God has got us through this to the other side. And now you're sitting in a room all together, no distance. Life is feeling like life again. Because God's the author of everything. There's nothing about this that surprised him or overwhelmed him. Um, And Peter is desperately trying to remind his brothers and sisters uh, of the faith that you have been tested and you have been tried. Hang in there. You will come out the other side of this. I promise. Though you, we're going to jump ahead here. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him, and you rejoice, you rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Because you have believed in what you have seen, you have loved what you have not seen, you have trusted, and now you're going to reap the benefit of that. Those of you who have stayed this, this course and you have trusted and you have hung in there through it all, you're now going to reap the benefit of that. You're going to, and I don't know what that's going to look like, different from everybody, but you're going to get to reap that because you stayed the course in your faith. You persevered. You overcame. You, you, you did not give up. There are many who did. Many who have quit, walked away, threw their hands up, and trust me, we've all been in that place. We were tired of, we were tired of wearing masks. We were tired of getting all the way to the door of someplace and realizing you forgot your mask and you had to go back to your car and get your mask. How many times have we did that, right? More times than I can count, right? And then the first time you walked into a place and you didn't have to wear a mask. And you were like, 
and you forgot your mask, and then you realized you didn't have to have your mask, which was like, I don't have to go back to my car because I can just walk in here now. And then, or you brought your mask, and then you walked in, and you realized you didn't have to wear your mask, and you were just like, we're not wearing masks in here. I see your whole face. I didn't know what you looked like. Now I do. It's awesome. Better looking than I thought. All right? And so you're kind of going through that whole process. You're like, holy smokes. There was a lot of weirdness, right? I mean, I I still remember people that were like afraid to like, I had to have some work done on my roof during the pandemic. And the gentleman came to the door, and when I opened the door, I'm just so, I'm, I'm a, you know, I'm a high-fiver and a handshaker, right? I work at a school. That's just kind of what we do. And I remember opening the door, and the gentleman was standing there, and uh, I went to just shake his hand, and he literally like, did this number. Like I was literally going to stab him with my hand. And I was like, well, I'm trying not to be like super offended right now by your reaction, bro. Like, you know, but he was like, I don't know, man. I don't know. I was like... Okay, do I, I just co- am I covered in COVID? I just didn't see it. You know, and so, I mean, that was crazy. There was a lot of strong feeling and reaction that existed everywhere, and we've overcome and we've gone through all of that. Yet God is still on his throne. He is still Jehovah Jireh. He is still Yahweh. He is still Elohim, right? He is still all of those things. He has never stopped being any of those, and nothing about all of this. I mean, you have not seen him, but you know him. You have not seen him, but you love him. And because of that, you are blessed, and you will come out the other side. Can you imagine being, they were scattered from their homes. Lost. Lost identity. And Peter just said, it's okay. He sees you. And you see him. And it is accounted in the salvation of your souls. Because Paul also said, I am pressed, but I am not crushed. I am persecuted, but I am not abandoned. I am struck down, but I am not destroyed. For my joy will come in the morning. It may not come today, and it may not come tomorrow. But because of those things, because you have trusted, it is accounted to salvation. He says, concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be, you're searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person of time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you and the things that you have now announced to you through those who have preached the good news, to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. He's just saying, this has been prophesied, and now you're living it, and you're breathing it, and the Holy Spirit is boring it out in your life to a glory and to an eternity. One thing that I think the pandemic has taught us, I'm a firm believer that... um, crisis kind of really shows us what we're made of. It kind of presses us on every side, and what is at the core of us is what will come out. And some people rose to the occasion, and some did not, unfortunately. The pressure was too great. But I look at this group of people, and I realize that student ministry at Quell Springs Baptist Church and the ministry and the future of this student ministry and this church in general is in a good place because 
The universe squeezed us real hard for like 16 months. And we trusted in God, and now we're starting to push back. We didn't walk away. We didn't give up. We pressed in, and we leaned in, and we trusted God. Because you can imagine First Peter, in Peter, when Peter is writing this, the church is under immense persecution. It is under immense pressure. Believers being killed and crucified and persecuted in ways that you and I will never see or know, right? Uh, yet, they continued to press and push the truth of the gospel. They didn't throw their hands up. Instead, they leaned in. And as false creek arises and mission trips and school comes back normal and life comes back slowly like it's you know coming up out of the ground brand new all over again now we lean in hard and we love and and, and we we share and we trust each other and in christ and we begin to push back against darkness that's crept into our world. We can't complain about it. We've got to go light matches when it comes to darkness. We can't sit around and talk about how bad it is. We need to start lighting lights and pushing back. Not in a way full of hate or anger. We're going to push back with love and we're going to like, no, this is truth. We will be known by our love will be known by the truth that pours out of us. I'm going to ask the band to come. They're going to lead us in worship here as we wrap up. But I hope that when you think about, when you think about Peter, and you think about what the message of hope that he was teaching and preaching, I hope that sinks into your heart, into your life a little bit, and you say to yourself, okay, what can I do to bring light to a dark world. What does that look like? Right? Looks different for everybody. Father God, we thank you so much for today. Thank you for these students, and I thank you for their families. I thank you for their ministries that they are involved in and connected to. And to, every, to each and every one is different. Each and every one is different. Our influence and our sphere and our circle is not the same. We would look at our influence, we'd look at our sphere, and we would say, okay, how can I impact it? How can I show love of Jesus to them? Even when they feel dispersed and scattered and lost, how can I do that? Let today be the first day that somebody thinks about that and they're challenged and pushed to whatever that truth may look like for them. God, we love you and we praise you. We thank you so much for today. I thank you for these students that are here. Let us worship in spirit and truth. God, in your name we pray and ask all these things. Amen. Please worship, bro.